which is different than a majority of world religions um, and faith traditions. And so we're going to, as our call to worship today, we're going to recite the Nicene Creed. We do this periodically. And then we're going to look at a text, our text today, 2 John, which deals specifically with the humanity of Jesus, with the necessity of understanding Jesus not only as fully God, but as fully human as well. But if you would, stand with me, and let's repeat this together, this creed, as we go. And in particular, pay attention to where it talks about Jesus and the humanity of Jesus as we recite this statement together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life to come, life in the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Again, my name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. We're really glad you're here with us this morning. so there's this <clears throat> kind of offbeat comedy, and, and you know, it's always a little bit difficult when you recommend a movie, especially one that you haven't seen in like 10 years, because then when you go back and act, watch the actual thing, you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot that was in there. Um, so that's the disclaimer as I, as I recommend this movie. It's been probably 10 years since I've seen it, but it's a, it's a movie called uh, Be Kind Rewind, Jack Black in it. Anybody seen that? Okay, got a few hands with it. Justin likes it. That's a thumbs up from Justin. That's good. Um, so basically, here's the premise of the story, is there's a kind of this hapless, run-down VHS rental store, like Blockbuster, right, for all the old people in here. Blockbuster. Um, and it's about to be closed down, and, and the owner goes off on something, and the, and the guy who's left in charge, most deaf, plays him. Uh, his, his erratic friend, Jack Black, gets magnetized and walks into the store. And just by walking around the store, he erases all of the VHS tapes. Like they all just go blank. And this doesn't really prove to be a problem because there's so few people renting VHS tapes until someone comes in and asks for a copy of Ghostbusters. Well, he puts it in and realizes there's nothing on the tape. It's, it's totally blank. 
So they come, and again, screwball comedy, right? Not reality. They decide, hey, we're going to film our own version of Ghostbusters. And so it's like Most Def and Jack Black and a couple other people, they basically remake Ghostbusters, put it on the, t- of course, it's like 15 minutes long, right? Like all that they do and the props are crazy. And, uh, and pretty soon, you know, people, st- and people would come in and ask for other movies and they go try to remake those real quick. And pretty soon people are catching on like, hey, what's going on? But, but they actually like the films. Like they're, like they're not the originals. And, and the expression or the reason they give when people say, hey, I saw this film in the theater and this is not the same one. They would say, well, these, film, these are the Swedish versions of the film. <laughs> so literally it has become a word, a catchphrase in our society to be sweeted if something is not like the original done on the shoestring. So, so all these sweeted films are out there. And of course, you know, uh, hilarity ensues. And, uh, and there's a good resolve at the end. But I thought about that when I thought as the teaching team met this week and the warning that John gives the people in the letter. He says, beware of imitations. Beware of people who present themselves as the real thing, but in fact are offering you something different. And in a 10-year-old screwball comedy, having an imitation is actually fun. It's funny. It doesn't do any harm. It, it, it's something entertaining to watch. But when we start dealing with the truth, when we start dealing with the gospel, when we start dealing with the foundations of our belief, it's anything but fun. It's nothing to be laughed at at all. In fact, it's something very, very serious. You see, Jesus is the ultimate source the center of all that is true. And so what we believe about Jesus is going to define what we believe about the truth and how we act on that. So let's, uh, let's dive in this week and see what we can learn. Pray with me. Jesus, welcome. Welcome to this place, to this community, to your church. You know what we're practicing here. You know what our hearts, our intentions are. You know what our giftings and our failings are. You know what we know and what we don't know. You know the difference between what we practice and what we preach. God, this is not about us getting it right. It is so much about you getting us and us getting you. We trust if we do that, that it will be right. So God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Work your, work your grace in us, through us, among us, as we let the word read us and interpret us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so those of you who have been with us for a while, you know that we're going through the Johannine letters. We finished up. 1 John last week, and we get into 2 John, and it's only one chapter, so we're looking at the entire book, the the letter of John to the church. This, most theologians and commentators believe that this is a follow-up letter to the homily that 1 John, that's in 1 John, that he's writing to the same group of people, and he's hitting indeed on, on a number of subjects, but in particular one subject, which seems to be the 
the real tension, the real problem that false teachers were presenting to the church that he was writing to. In the first letter, we, we saw John call people out and give definitions for love and give definitions for what it meant to walk in the truth. And Second John, in many ways, is just a reminder of those things, but it's also something else. It is a true letter. He's saying, look, I'm coming to you. And he wants them to be ready. That, that's us as well, y'all. Now, John's not going to pay us a visit, not the author of this book so much. But all of us need those reminders. All of us need those letters. All of us need those messages to be reminded, hey, remember who you are. Remember what you're about. Because I'm coming. Jesus is coming. Indeed, John talks about it in here. He, he makes that connection as well because he says, as we'll see, he says, I don't want you to lose your reward. I don't want you to be found wanting. I don't want you, when Jesus shows up, I don't want you to have turned away or forgotten what you were to be about. So do we have ears to hear this this morning? Are we willing to be reminded? Are we willing to examine how we're currently living in light of the reminder that John offers? Because that's what we're going to talk about today. And that is a responsibility that needs to be seriously taken. <clears throat> well, let's get into the text. The first verse of the book of Second John, My dear congregation, I, your pastor, love you in very truth. And I'm not alone. Everyone who knows the truth that has taken up permanent residence in us loves you. Let grace and mercy and peace be with us in truth. And love from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, Son of the Father. I can't tell you how happy I am to learn that many of your members of your congregation are diligently living, are diligently, are diligent in living out the truth, exactly as commanded by the Father. But permit me a reminder, friends. And this is not a new commandment, but simply a repetition of our original and basic charter that we love one another. Now let's stop here. We'll make a couple observations as we go. Um, we, so there's a lot of debate. We talked about it back and forth is how healthy is the group that John is writing to? How healthy is the church? Because it starts off saying, hey, yay, way to go team, basically, right? You guys are walking it out. You're diligent. You're walking out the truth. And, and if it was to stop there, you'd think, hey, kind of first John did its work. Like he sent this corrective homily, they, they understood the message, they responded to the message, and now John has given them an attaboy. Way to go. But as always happens, there is a but, <laughs> right? And so we don't really know where this body is. Are they, are they really responding? Are they really walking in it? Or was John trying to you know, do the encouragement thing first as an opening to say, but hey, really guys, are you, are you listening? Are you getting what I'm saying? Because it doesn't really seem like it. So whether this was a group that was turning towards light or whether this was a group that still needed more reminding, the reminder is there. And he says this, love means following his commandments. And his unifying commandment is that you conduct your lives in love. This is the first thing you heard 
and nothing has changed. Now, in a society that seems to be further and further torn apart, I think we have to ask ourselves, is there a legitimate role for the church to play? I mean, couldn't it be argued that what is really needed are more rules, more calling out what is distinctive, more, hey, hard line, take a hard line on things, draw a line in the sand, make it absolutely clear, shun those who aren't on our side, you're either for us or against us. I mean, isn't it that what isn't that what makes us distinctive? Our mission statements, our doctrinal purity. I don't think that what I don't think that's what John is saying here. In fact, I think he's he's saying, yes, we it is a time here to be distinctive, but that distinctive is evidenced in love. And not just any kind of love, not just a mushy love, not just a nebulous kind of emotional love, but a commandment-keeping love. Now, to some people, that may sound like an oxymoron, commandment-keeping love. It doesn't sound sexy, right? And, And we could almost interpret that as like legalistic love which is a true oxymoron. But this commandment-keeping love, John John can't, he can't give us one without the other. We saw it it in the the epistle of John, and we see it here, that the two always go together. But we're so hardwired to think of rules, to think of commandments, to think of those as burdensome, right? Right? Like we hear rule, we hear command, we hear instruction, and we think of something that is love-killing in a way, not love-encouraging. And yet, John can't separate the two with that. That is the distinctive for us as a church today, the thing that we are called to do, the thing that we are called to bear witness to, act on, live in, demonstrate out, is commandment-keeping love. So, what's the answer? Well, listen, you're not going to parse your way out of this philosophically. The only way out of it is to look at Jesus. The only way to understand what commandment-keeping love really is, is to know Jesus, the person of Jesus, because in Jesus, those things are reconciled in a life-giving, freedom-causing way. Every other attempt to make those, to reconcile those things, you'll end up in a ditch. It is only when we see in the person of Jesus, law and obedience, love and obedience, Law and grace, fully reconciled. It's only in the person of Jesus. And that's why John's instruction, as we're going to see, his warning is so clear, is that when you do away with Jesus, you you do away with it all. It's only in the person of Jesus that these things are reconciled and come together. 
The other thing is, when we look at this and we say, well, that's impossible. How do we do that? It's impossible to, to both keep the commandment and, and to love. It's, it's impossible to be obedient and yet graceful. We look to Jesus and we see the yes, it is. See, because if Jesus wasn't really human, as Andrew said in our teaching meeting this week, if Jesus wasn't really human, then we get an out. We have an excuse. We can just walk away. But the truth is that it is this Jesus-y love. And maybe that's a way to think about it, that commandment-keeping love is Jesus-y love. That that's what reconciles these things. Well, let's go on. So John continues in his warning. He says this. He says, There are a lot of smooth-talking charlatans loose in the world who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ was truly human, a flesh-and-blood human being. Give them their true title, deceiver, antichrist, and be very careful around them so you don't lose out on what we've worked so diligently together. I want you to get every reward you have coming to you, as I alluded to earlier. John is concerned, not just when he shows up, but then when Jesus comes back, that the church is ready to receive him, that the church won't lose out on its reward with that. And you know, it's pretty obvious in our culture from the various ways we use love that it's a big deal. One, love is a big deal. And two, we have no idea what it really means. Like we're really confused about it, right? We love our spouses and we love pizza. Come on. As Bonnie, as Bonnie said in her message a few weeks ago, right? What is it that you said you loved in the, in Yeah, you love people, not things. But in our culture, we love things and experiences and feelings and pizza and people and elephants and puppies and cat memes. I mean, we love it all, right? Like, it's a big deal. Love is a big deal in our culture, and we're really confused about what that means, how that is. But again, this is where Jesus comes in. See, in our culture, and I'm speaking of kind of the evangelical American culture here. We're real good with Jesus as God. Like, man, we got that nailed. We are all about Jesus as God coming down, born of a virgin, and giving his life, being the perfect sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Man, we we got it. Jesus is God. But when it really comes to also being fully human, we're we're not super comfortable with that. We're not super comfortable with a Jesus that snores or burps or got tired or confused or was tempted to be angry. We're not real comfortable with a Jesus that went through the raging hormones of being a teenager and also suffered the insidious slide into what age does to a body with that. And so we, we keep Jesus in heaven. We keep Jesus in heaven. Or we keep him on the cross as a sacrifice. But we have trouble wrapping our minds around Jesus as human, flesh and blood, hungry, thirsty, tired, overwhelmed, taxed out, 
at the end of his rope in many ways. And I've shown this picture before, but with all our images of blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, Jesus in sparkling white robes walking, you know, looking like he's out of central casting or some modeling magazine, anthropologists say he's probably pretty close. Five foot two, Semitic, dark-skinned, day laborer from Galilee. This Jesus. Human Jesus. Jesus had to have his diapers changed. Jesus had to be taught how to walk and talk and read. This Jesus. Very God of very God. Light of light. Encapsulated, come down into human form. Why is this so important? Why was it so a big deal? Why? Listen, <clears throat> listen to the, what's being said in the letter because it doesn't, I mean, we get used to it, right? Because we're familiar with the word. We're familiar with the Bible. We think we know what's coming yet. We think we know what's coming next. But if you were going to write a letter to remind people to love, remind that, hey, the first thing you heard about Jesus was to love. The one thing you need to remember is to love. And one of the big things that's going to hurt your love is that you forget that Jesus was human. What? Wait, hold on. I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but for me, that doesn't necessarily follow. For me, that's not what I would think would be the biggest attack against me obeying that command, would be forgetting that Jesus was human. I mean, shouldn't it be something else? Shouldn't it be like, hey, look after your own selfish stuff? <laughs> Or something else like that. But in this community at this time, and I'm not saying this is the only thing that it affects that, but at this community at this time, this was the deal. The deal was they were being led astray. The deal was they were losing their ability to obediently love, have a commandment-keeping love, because there were people who were coming into the church who were saying, you know what? He wasn't human. Yay, Jesus, God-man. He wasn't fully human, though. Yes, we believe in Jesus. He was from God, and he was perfect, and he didn't have any of the troubles that you have. He knew everything. He was omnipotent and omniscient, omnipresent, he appeared as a man, appeared, and the key word there, appeared as a man. There was a huge movement in the early church that, that proclaimed this. There was a huge movement in the early church that went about proclaiming that Jesus was, he was like an apparition. And some of them went so far to say that he was born of a virgin, and Mary was born of a virgin, and Mary's mother was born of a virgin, ad nauseum, all the way back, that there was no intercourse involved in the creation of any of them. Because once you get in there, think, literally, things get messy, right? I mean, it's, it's human when that happens. We can't have that. We can't have our God involved in any of that stuff. But no. John, who walked with Jesus, who saw him, heard him snore, saw him get tired, Saw him be overtaxed. He said, if you want to know what commandment-looking 
Commandment-keeping love looks like, look at Jesus, the human Jesus, the Jesus who walked among us, the Jesus who was born in Galilee, the, Je- the Jesus who worked for years as a day laborer, the Jesus who taught in the temples and the synagogues, who was persecuted, the Jesus who was high one day and low the next, who had 3,000 people sitting out, spread out, listening to him the next day, almost nobody, the Jesus who was betrayed by one of his own disciples. That Jesus, that's who we follow. Without the love of God embodied in Jesus, we are left to the myriad definitions offered by the world. Jesus shows us what true love looks like in human form. Now we ask this question, Pete Lesser asked this question, which was great. He's like, what, what's the motivation? Why would people want a non-human Jesus? Or just a Jesus that appears like a human, but isn't really. What could possibly motivate people to do away with the humanity of Jesus? Keep the deity, do away with humanity. Why would they do that? Well, not to put too fine a point on it, but that stuff sells. Christless Christianity sells. Easy believism. Hey, let's get a God who pays for our sins, died on the cross, gets us into heaven, but doesn't have any other demands. Doesn't give us a model to wrestle with a person to follow here and now, right now, in this human form, that'll fill an auditorium. That'll sell books. That'll make you pretty popular. The church has been dealing this, with this for 2,000 years. This is not just the people in the book of John. This is us, y'all. We live in a society that wants a costless Christianity, that wants a prosperity gospel, that wants something that just gives to us and we don't have to do much in response other than pray a prayer, maybe show up every once in a while for a meeting like this, put a fish fish symbol on our bumper and have our happy life. See, that's the other thing about a human Jesus is it doesn't allow us to do that. When we see how Jesus actually lived in the world and we understand that he is our, the firstborn among us, that he's our model with that, then we have to figure out how we do this thing as humans here and now. How we walk out a commandment-keeping love. How we are obedient as flesh and blood human being. Yes, born from above through our baptism, through our reconciliation with God, but still fully human. We have to walk that out. John goes on in the text, he says, anyone who gets so progressive in his thinking that he walks out on the teaching of Christ, walks out on God. But whoever stays with the teaching stays faithful to both the Father and the Son. If anyone shows up who doesn't hold this teaching, don't invite him in and give him, pl- and give him the run of the place. That would just give him a platform to perpetuate his evil ways, making you his partner. See, in our society, it's super popular to be spiritual but not religious, right? Anybody else hear that? Am I the only one? Anybody got friends? Yeah, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, you know. Because religion's bad. Religion's all those rules. Religion is where people get messed up. Spirituality, though, you know, I'm spiritual. 
which basically means I get to decide. Like I'm the one that gets to decide everything. Feels good, it's, then it's good. Feels bad, well then it's wrong. With that. Because when we so abstract the idea of God into just God in heaven or a nebulous being or an omnipotent otherness, there's a whole lot of difference there, friend, or distance. Whole lot of distance to give us room to do whatever we want if God is far off and just spirit. But if God is really human, God really walked these roads, lived this life, filled out this body, fingers, toes, brain, stomach, heart. That's a different deal. That's an, that's a, that's an argument that we can't deny. That's an example that we can't do away with. This God was fully human. He became fully human. And he teaches us and shows us finally what it is to love. And this is the crux of the letter. Do you want to know what love is? Know Jesus. Submit yourself to him. Read, study, pray, walk, follow. You want to know what love is? It's not on paper. You're not going to find it in a book or a movie or a song. You're going to find it in the person, the person of Jesus. This fully human, fully God, Jesus, with that. And what that does is it both takes away all our excuses, because I'll, I'll make excuses all day long. I'm just a man. I'm just a person. I can't love like that. I can't, I, can't, I can't love like that sacrificially and obediently. Fighting against a lot of my natural inclinations to make it all about me. Or to love somebody in order for what I'm going to get in return. But Jesus, when I look at Jesus, I go, well, he did it. No, I granted He's God and I'm not, but he expresses in his humanity what is potentially possible for all of us, men, women, young, old. So when we see Jesus as fully human, it removes our excuses. But it also encourages us. Y'all, we haven't been left alone. We haven't been called to something to which we have no potential to achieve. Jesus came to show us a way, and he came to show us a potential for what a real human being looks like. That's the thing. Is what we see in God is we see a, not just a person, but we see a real person. We see what it looks like to be a real, fully realized human being. And he could do that where he was, as he was, lets us know that we also then can do that where we are, as we are. A mom raising kids, working at the university, going to the university, 
running a business, being a cop, building buildings. We can do it because Jesus did it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as we transition now into this time of taking communion, sharing our offering, reflecting on this, as you come up to receive the elements today, remember that this is the body of Jesus. We have this, this tangible experience of the humanity of Jesus at this table. His body broken for us. His blood shared, shed for us. Not just only as propitiation. Not just only as that. But also as a reminder. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And I think part of that is remembering that he was here. Do this in remembrance because Jesus was at this table. He set this table. He started this meal. It wasn't some instruction that came down from an angel or in a vision. It was a person who started this table 2,000 years ago. And that person was Jesus. And he invites us to it today. Again, the person of Jesus invites us to this table. So as you come and as you take the elements, remember that person that started this. Thank you for being here this morning. Mm -hmm.